0: The NFL is back and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is giving all new players a can't-miss offer for one week. Bet just $1 on any NFL game during the first week of the season and receive $200 in free bets instantly, no matter what. Take advantage of this limited offer now. You heard right. DraftKings is giving all new players $200 in free bets instantly when you place a bet of $1 or more on any week one game. Head to DraftKings Sportsbook app now to check out all the great promotions and daily odds boost. Plus, you can make every game a big game with same game parlays. How do you do that again? Pretty simple. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code TBPN to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any week one game. That's promo code TBPN to get your free $200 in free bets instantly for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania new customers apply only restrictions apply see draftkings.com sportsbook for details gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER or in indiana 1-900 excuse me (laughs) 1-800 9 with it now on to the show Back, everyone. This is Jason Jones of the Athletic, bringing you the latest, greatest episode of the Rule of the Court podcast. Brought to you by the Basketball Podcast Network and our friends at DraftKings. Go ahead, jump on DraftKings, win you some money. If you win something, send me a little something via the PayPal. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Nah, you know. You know, unless you really want to send me some money <laughs> anyways again again you know we're back we're full full off-season mode nothing going on really with the king so as and it's a short off-season because we're about six weeks away from training camp you know no, another short off-season due to you know scheduling changes you know pandemic scheduling so on and so forth so with that being said we want to kind of dive into some off-season uh, review, just for this week, looking at, or this episode, should I say, looking at the wins, the losses, and the, some of the biggest questions from the Kings' off-season as they go into the 2021-2022. That sounds crazy to say, but man, it's like as someone I was talking to yesterday or a couple days ago noted, you know, the last NBA champion was crowned less than a year ago. Or, should I say, the 2020 champion was crowned less than a year ago. And they'll go, and <laughs> in, in, in less than a year, there's another champion already. So, it's just that's how wild things are with everything. But n- enough of that. Let's go ahead and get into what we're going to talk about. Again, just off season review the wins, the losses, the biggest questions. And feel free to weigh in. Feel free to hit me on social At Mr. Underscore Jason Jones On Twitter At Mr. Jones LBC On Instagram You know just to kind of see What's going on You know You know if you got Feedback if you want to say things To me tell me I'm messing up You don't like what I'm saying whatever You uh, Go ahead and hit me on social We can uh, chop it up about the off-season review. And I'm going to begin with the wins from my perspective. To me, the biggest wins for the Kings, uh kept Rashawn Holmes, drafted Davion Mitchell. And we're also able to re-sign Mo Harkless and Terrence Davis. To me, those were the big wins. Why? Because in three of those, in four of these guys, all of all four of these guys, all four of these guys are guys who you would expect to be committed to defense. And as I've said more than once, the Kings had the worst defense I've ever seen last season. So uh, uh, retaining some of your guys who played defense later on in the season, uh, notably that would be uh, Harkless and Davis who you added via trade. You know, To keep those guys around and help in that area. Which was which was a, which was a um, change from the previous uh, offseason under Monty McNair, when probably the Kings' most versatile perimeter defender was Kent Bazemore, and he was allowed to leave as a free agent, uh, headed to Golden State. And he's already now he's a Laker, which is crazy because he's on his, you know basically his fourth team in about a, you know in twelve months. But hey, like I said, it's been a wacky year. You know, hey, it is what it is. But I think keeping those guys was key, just to at least for some continuity as you try to improve the defense a lot of times defense can get better as guys are more familiar with each other know where guys uh strengths and weaknesses are from playing together a lot of minutes and perhaps this will be a small factor in helping the kings you know improve like i said which was the worst defense i've ever seen ever I would say at any level, but I, I don't know. I mean, even at the high school level, I saw some bad defense. But, you know, those were kids. You know, but in the NBA level, either, this is the worst defense I've seen. So keeping those guys together as part of the, the rotation is definitely a win. The, the addition of Davion Mitchell looks like it's going to be a big win because you traded DeLon Wright, who was a bigger guard, but also probably your best on-ball guard defensively. But you, you 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 traded him to Atlanta, but you plug in Davion, you know, the younger player, you know, so you lose some experience, but hopefully you get some of what you got from Delon, if not more, defensively. With Davion in that spot, probably taking the minutes that would have gone to Delon this season. So I think those are your, like I said to me, your key wins uh, for the offseason, just because again. Defense, defense, defense. And along the along those lines you add Alex Lynn, another guy who the Kings, at least the coaching staff knows for what he added in terms of toughness and defense a couple of seasons ago. You still got Tristan Thompson now on the roster who was part of the three team deal that sent Delon Wright to Atlanta, a guy who knows defense, has played on the team, has played championship level defense, who should be able to also provide some help you know, in that area as well, so overall, I, I'm not going to give it a grade, I think that that shit's corny, personally, you know, you know, grading on what, do you grade on a curve, I don't care about a grade, but I'm going to say the, just finding guys who will play defense has to be the biggest win of the offseason, because again, Kings didn't play, you know, nearly, hardly any defense last season, and you can't hope to win anything, much less make, the playoffs if you can't play some level of defense so that's the biggest win of this offense the offseason should I say not this offense this off offseason because now you have a much better chance of establishing some kind of defensive identity with this group these still aren't going to be you know the 2004 Pistons but you know I think it'll be you know no one's going to confuse this group with the um you know the Pat Riley Knicks but I do think you have some pieces that will help you go from, it, from 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 30th and start moving your way out of 30th. Because if you're gonna be 30th in defense, you don't have a chance of being much of a winner. So that's why I say getting guys who can defend is a win for the Kings. Now you wanna we talked about the wins that is this offseason. You know, time to slide over to the losses. And the biggest losses of the season. I'm not. I don't even mean in terms of players who were on the roster. The biggest loss, in my opinion, is no resolution when it comes to Buddy Hield or Marvin Bagley III. Now they're still on the team, and as you see the way the Kings are building out this roster, I, I wouldn't call Buddy Hield expendable. But there's clearly there's a nucleus of guards that are on this team, and if you talk about De'Aaron Fox tyrese halliburton and davion mitchell that leaves room for one more guard and it would just obviously at this point be buddy but you know the kings want terrence mitchell not terrence mitchell terrence davis in the mix so someone's got to go you would you know and buddy is just the obvious candidate makes the most money you know in terms of upside when i say upside i mean potential down the road i'm yeah He probably has the least amount because he's the oldest. You know, I don't know how much better Buddy is going to be. Whereas you can look at De'Aaron, Tyrese, Davion, and even Terrence and maybe project they'll become even better, you know, in the long run. And, you know, we all know Buddy was oh so close to being a Laker. And what happened there? Russell Westbrook happened. I think in a lot of ways, stylistically, Buddy would have made, you could argue Buddy would fit better than Russell Westbrook. But... If you're the Lakers and you're going to say, who's my third best player going to be behind LeBron James and Anthony Davis, do you want to say it's going to be Russell Westbrook or do you want to possibly say it might be Buddy Heald? To me, that that definitely tilted the, the balance toward making a deal for Russell Westbrook and that kept Buddy Heald in Sacramento for now. And I don't know what you do with Buddy in terms of the rotation, I think that uh, a Tyrese Halliburton, uh, De'Aaron Fox starting backcourt makes sense in a lot of what reason, a lot of ways and a lot of reasons. You get two uh, ball handlers out there early. And if you remember a couple of seasons ago, De'Aaron Fox played well starting off games with Bogdan Bogdanovich because it gave him another ball handler to start a game with. If De'Aaron wanted to be aggressive offensively, he could because, you know, you had a guy there to facilitate. And having Tyrese out there gives him that freedom. But we all know Buddy does not like coming off the bench. And I don't fault Buddy for that. I don't want a guy on my team who's content with not starting, especially when, if you're Buddy, you've been one of the more prolific three-point shooters since you entered the league, especially since you arrived in Sacramento in that trade during his rookie season. You know, if you're that guy, why would you not want to start? I don't have a problem with him not starting or not wanting to be a reserve, should I say. Uh, I expect him to be pissed off about that. I'd be pissed off if I was him, too. But the numbers bear out in terms of efficiency. Buddy is a much more efficient player as a reserve. So that's something for Luke Walton to uh, sort out. As long as Buddy is still on the team. I'm, I'm not convinced that the, that we get through the entire season with Buddy still a king but we shall see next up we talk about Marvin Bagley III another guy who since during the season has been the subject of trade discussions trade you know rumors and there was a reported trade or a rumored trade about they would have sent Marvin to Memphis and that obviously didn't happen and that deal would have also brought back Jonas Valanciunas, who would have probably been your starting center, which would have been a sign that the Kings didn't believe they were going to retain Rashawn Holmes. But obviously that happened. But Marvin's situation, kind of like Buddy, is very curious. The Kings played some of their best ball with Harrison Barnes starting at the four. And they're set up now with Mo Harkless on the team if they dis- if they would like to. They could start games like that. But the question then becomes, where do you play Marvin Bagley? Uh, Do you bring him off the benches of five? Probably not, because you don't sign Alex Linden to use Marvin Bagley as a backup five, do you? Even though the team has wanted to see Marvin kind of as a small ball, you know, defensively switchable uh, five man. Problem is that Marvin hasn't played enough and he's been so bad on defense. You don't want him out there in late game situations. Trying to help your defense. So, do you feature Marvin, you know, off the bench as a off the bench scorer? Is that his role on this team? It's a lot to be figured out right now, and Marvin is passive aggressively, let it be known he doesn't want to be in Sacramento, wouldn't mind not being in Sacramento. He just won't come out and say you know, he just won't come out and save. It. It's been a little you know, a little social media hints saying things in press conferences or to our podcast you know where, wherever i'm playing next season i'll be ready wherever i'm at i'll be ready you know and i think you know the kings would love to oblige him <laughs> in that scenario but as i've reported and we've talked about before what's the value of marvin bagley on the trade market especially who's making 11.3 million dollars next season who's going to jump out and say i want to take absorb that salary and either you know either you know maybe you absorb it into a trade exception you absorb it in the cap space now what do you who has who is going to want to do that at some point this season who believes in marvin bagley enough to take him on and then go about kind of figuring out what to do and seeing if you know where he can be in his career it's a good question. I don't know who does it, but the fact that that's still a question going into this season has to be a loss for the Kings because this is a team that's talking about trying to make the you know the plan, eventually the playoffs, being the top 10 you know in the West, having a chance at the postseason. And ideally, you don't want to go into the season with this type of question. You don't want to go in wondering where at the second overall pick from the 2018 draft fit in the future? He should fit in like, Squirrel is a part of your core but i don't know if that's going to be the resolution in this situation I don't, I don't believe it will be so the kings have to figure out what's going to be the path going forward with marvin bagley the third do you know uh, do you do you start him and then you know kind of deal with if he's not happy coming off the bench just let him be unhappy and deal with that then do you bring him off the bench to start the season you know if there's no no deal done and there's it can, and it gets kind of, you know, acrimonious, do you send him home and like you did when he was hurt and say, you know, you can come back <laughs> you, you you know, you can you you can, you know, leave Phoenix when you're on a new team. I wouldn't do that, but all those things have to be considered, I think, as you look at what's going on with the Kings and what they want to do in terms of winning. Like I said, Harrison has been a good fit in in some of those situations but I don't think you need to necessarily throw Marvin in the trash you know know, he's still a young player still got you know time to develop but again just a a big question mark hanging over the Kings I think even more so than Buddy I think with Buddy you know what you're getting with him you know what he can do no matter if he start come off the bench you know what you're getting with Buddy with Marvin we really don't know yet I mean about you know 14 to 7 rebounds you know you know, you know, not he hasn't been great defensively, but when he came back late last season, he showed he could kind of be the player the Kings would need from him in terms of effort. And when I say effort, I don't mean that Marvin was dogging it. I mean just in terms of running the floor, rim running to get baskets, you know, things of that sort. He can be that guy. I just don't know if he'll get it, if he'll be that guy all season in Sacramento or if he'll be doing it somewhere else. You no, know, maybe Oklahoma City. I don't know. Definitely could be somewhere else. Now on to the biggest questions of the offseason. I got two of those. One, I kind of touched it on already. What are the Kings going to do with all these big men? Rashawn Holmes, Alex Lynn, Tristan Thompson, Marvin Bagley the third. Those are, you know, your four, you know, kind of guys, 6'10 and above. What's your ch- problem with that? If you're trying to play this fast, 5-and-out style the only guy in that mix who can really be a considered a floor spacer is Bagley. I don't think you want Alex Lynn camped out at the three-point line, nor do you want you know, Tristan Thompson out there. I think Marvin Bagley, no, not Marvin Bagley, Rashawn Holmes would love to do it. He's He did have a season a couple of years ago where he shot you know, a bunch of threes. They haven't asked him to do that since. But, you know, you kind of got, you know, in Lynn. And Thompson, kind of your traditional bigs. And the Kings list Tristan as a forward slash center, which kind of leads me to believe that they see him being a guy when you're playing a bigger team. Say you're playing the Lakers and say they start AD and Mark Gasol. You've got two, you know, maybe you go with some size that you can throw at both of those guys. Or if you're playing a, you know, a Milwaukee you know you've got some bigger guys to throw at a Giannis if you want to have a guy like Tristan take a shot at you know Giannis it would still be a tough night but you know maybe you know maybe you consider doing that maybe when you play in Atlanta you throw a physical guy like that at a at a uh, John Collins you know there's different things to consider with that but the Kings have to figure out of these bigs what are they going to do with them I mean you signed, you signed Alex Lynn, so I assume you wanted him to pl- fill some role. And I didn't even get into the fact you still got Chemezi, Metu, and Damian Jones, who have guaranteed money to start the season. So that's a, that's a group of six. And honestly, in terms of uh, athletic bigs defensively, uh, at this stage of the game, Chemezi might be a better fit as a stretch forward defender than Marvin is right now and Damian Jones in my opinion did nothing wrong last season but the Kings have a a shitload of big men right now (laughs) and they've got to sort through that and figure out what they're going to do with all of them I just named off six guys who are likely to be on the roster to start the season so something has to be sorted out with that we know Rashawn Holmes is going to start outside of that I'd be lying if I told you I knew where guys were going to fit <laughs> beyond Rashawn Holmes. But I think a part of having enough bigs is that, you know, the last couple of years seasons, Rashawn's had some injury issues. You know, the things that have knocked him out for a little bit. You know, he had the shoulder a couple of years ago, had some stuff this season. Maybe you save, some, you know, you save Rashawn some wear and tear because you got some more big guys you can throw with these bigger players. You know, you can throw... Alex Linett, uh Jokic or Vucevic, you know, you don't have to worry about throwing, uh, you know, because I mean, in those cases, in a lot of cases, Rashawn is is, is, a, is a small center, but especially against the, the, the best of the best, like a, a Jokic, even a guy like Nurkic, he's just, you know, he's small. So these other bodies should spare Rashawn some wear and tear, but still got to figure out how you're going to play these guys and where these minutes are going to go. As I will say, good luck with that, Luke Walton. And the other major question to me is, do they have enough wing players with size? I mean, you got Harrison Barnes and Mo Harkless, and after that, you drop down to a lot of inexperience and youth. You got Louis King, who looked good in summer league, but he's on a two-way deal. You got Robert Woodard II, who is a second-year player and looks like he needs to spend more time in Stockton than he does you know playing up in Sacramento so you you know they'll use Terrence Davis in some of those situations I think Tyrese Halliburton is a guy they'll ask they, as they say guard up no guard of bigger players you know De'Aaron has the capability as well but I don't know if they have enough of those guys I mean it I would you know I don't think even if Lewis King was on a standard deal standard vet minimum deal I don't know if you would consider him in the rotation to start the season but at some point you're going to have to figure out how to get some more depth at that position because defensively that's where you got killed a lot last season and you want to play small but you don't you know in terms of style that doesn't mean you literally want to have a tiny team on the court at all times you know so i would like to see if the kings will do anything to address that that could be addressed in a deal with you know a buddy heel deal you know if that were to ever happen so a lot, th- those are my those are my biggest questions after this off season. Let me know what you think uh, at Mister underscore Jason Jones on Twitter at Mister Jones LBC on Instagram. Even though no one ever sends me anything about the podcast on Instagram, I figure I shout it out anyway. Maybe you want to follow some of my jokes and just silliness and foolishness. And also, where if you go through my stories, you'll see the music I'm listening to uh, throughout the day, which leads me to. My favorite part of the podcast Where we discuss hip-hop, we discuss music That was kind of halfway okay transition by me, by the way But uh, Musically, on this episode uh, Saw the news on social media last week Kendrick Lamar announced that this upcoming album His next album will be his last on TDE, Top Dog Entertainment uh, And so... That would gonna close the chapter in Kendrick's career in terms of the label he started on. It is also gonna, you know, give him a chance to whatever he's got next after that. Who knows? He's a very creative, smart guy. We'll see. But it got me thinking about the albums that Kendrick has dropped on Top Dog, and should I just say TDE? I think most people, when you hear TDE, you know, you know what I'm talking about. You know, I you know even the Lakers and Clippers were selling TDE hats. So clearly Kendrick's influence and being a part of that label <laughs> meant something. Because like again, like I said, I don't know any other labels. I don't, I don't know if the Knicks or the Nets would ever have back a bad boy hat sell sold at their arena. I did cop one of the uh, TDE hats. I got the purple one, of course. You know, match my purple and gold for the frat. You know, uh, Omega Sci-Fi, but. Let's dive into where do I rank Kendrick's last five, his five TD albums. Not counting mixtapes and compilations like, you know, Black Panther and all that. But here's the albums I want to look at. And see, can we rank them? I probably can't, but we can try. We're talking about Section 80. We're talking about Good Kid, Mad City. We're talking about to pimp a butterfly. We're talking about the untitled the album the untitled. And we're talking about damn. Okay. How do we rank these? Ah uh, man. This is tough. Ah uh, see, as much as it's 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 a it's a difficult balance to figure with this one because one, I like all these albums for different reasons. I'm I'm a believer that the reason why Kendrick is already gonna is already put him is gonna put himself in the uh greatest of all time discussion is because he's five for five for me coming out the box. Yo, out out the starting blocks, five for five. Boom, 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 boom. Album you know, you no. Know, banger, 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 banger. Yo. Yo. No skip, no skip, no skip, no it just boom, right out the box, just like that. So when I go to Section 80, favorite song on the, you know, I could break down my favorite song on Section 80 is Keisha's song. Uh, it's uh it's a, uh, it's a, it's, to me, it's one of the early versions of the, of Kendrick excelling as a storyteller. And he's telling a great story in the song. And I'm, you know, you should probably go back and listen to that song again. I mean, it's a, you know, th- you know, this is where he before he was a, uh, you know, you know, before he was Kendrick Lamar, he was K-Dot. You know, this is like you know the first time he kind of, you know, he kind of jumped out and made himself known. It wasn't you know as big as Good Kid, Mad City, but I think it was it was definitely damn good. You know, you know, and at that point, people forget that. The first big name on TDE wasn't even Kendrick at that point. You know, it was J-Rock. You know, he had kind of jumped out already. You know, and he was the, uh, the no, the, the the name for TDE at that point. You know, so this was the first start of, of Kendrick kind of carving his name. You know, no more K-Dot. You know, just kind of carving his niche. So I think this album has a certain rawness to it that I really appreciate. Oh, by the way, I think I'm a I'm a I'm a punk out. I'm not going to rank them because I'm going to be a coward and let y'all rank them for me. Um, Next up, Good Kid, M.A.D. City. You know, some folks consider this his official debut. You you know, I don't know. I don't get in all that. But love this album, start to finish concept i love the concept of him basically telling his life story in the album you know it's a skill that a lot of artists can't pull off you know and you literally just kind of go through his life you have know, his early life in compton just through the you know and it's got some you know great songs on there he brings MC8 on there you get a compton og of hip-hop in there he has drake in there he gets Dr. Dre on there, you know, Mary J. Blige, you know. So, I mean, it's a great album. You know, it's uh, like I said, I love the storytelling from top to bottom. And that becomes a central th- theme of Kendrick's, you know, uh, albums is that there's a story being told start to finish. It's not like he just throws 12, 13 random ass songs on a, on a on an album and say, here you go. You see, you can really see and hear and feel the thought put into each song, each album, the order of them, the story it's telling. So, that's good, Kid Mad City. And then we'll go to I, I, what I will say I think is Kendrick's best album, Top to Bottom, The Pimp a Butterfly. Love this. I was listening to this earlier today while I was working out. Uh, love this album, you know. And then you, how it just. The story it tells. And a lot of his albums are stories of kind of discovery, you know, on some level. And at this point, you can kind of see that Kendrick is discovering who he is through the through the prism of fame. You know, how much a dollar costs. You know, Mortal Man, that song, you know, with, uh, where he ends up sampling a Tupac interview. So, I, I, I just think it's... Um, An album that I said again, going back to it tells a great story. Uh, has a lot, you know, it has you know, peaks and valleys, it has songs to make you think, then it has songs to get you going. It's great, like I said, to me. If I'm going to rank one, this is to me the number one album. And then we go over to Untitled, and y'all remember the whole story with this one. Basically, LeBron James tweeted that hey, like basically, hey, Kendrick, we could use some new music. So Kendrick puts this collection of music he has because he puts it out. And I don't think it was made to be a mainstream hit. It was just like, hey, we're going to put this out there. And I found this album to be very reflective. Like I said, I enjoyed it. It had more of a jazzy feel to it. But again, same thing about Kendrick telling you a good story. You know, you feel like you're going on an adventure with him throughout the album. And I enjoyed this. And the fact the songs were like all untitled and everything, that was kind of different. But who knows? You know, I just I shout out to LeBron for getting us that Kendrick album that we wanted at that time. Then a goal jump over to Damn. And this might I don't know if it's his second best album, but it might be my I think it might be my second or sometimes my favorite or second favorite Kendrick album. You know, all the songs, but, you know, one title, one word for titles, you know. And, you know, and, you know, I, people, this album was so cr- cool and crazy that it inspired conspiracy theories. Like, were you supposed to listen to the album from the last track back to the first? Were you supposed to go from first to last? Because, you know, in that last track... You know, you hear how it how it ends, you know, and that song Duckworth uh, production by Knife Wonder. Uh, that's one of my that might be my favorite Kendrick Lamar song of all time. So maybe that's why that that album is I hold it in such high regard. But, you know, this one here was just was 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 another, a masterpiece again. And you talk about, you know, the song Triple X with U2 on there. I mean. This is great stuff. You know, loyalty with Rihanna. Just great music again. So, again, I punked out. I didn't rank them one through five. I just told you I think the Pimp the Butterfly is the best one. I think Damn might be my favorite, though. And I'll let you guys all sort out who ranks what or who ranks where. All that good stuff. You know, a hell of a run on TDE for Kendrick. Looking forward to see what he does next. So... That's all I got for y'all this week Um, Shout out to the Basketball Podcast Network Shout out to DraftKings For You know know, know, Helping out with a little bit of coin Coinage, a little change You know, helping y'all make a little money Again, uh, hit me on Twitter At Mr. Underscore Jason Jones Instagram MrJonesLBC I am Jason Jones of The Athletic Uh, I cover the Kings I cover the culture, I talk a lot of random shit on Twitter, y'all know how I do, y'all be safe out there, I'm up out of here, I'm gone.